0: And, you know, we are broadcasting from uh, Orlando at the uh, Hyatt Regency at the uh, BNY Mellon Pershing's Insight 2018. And one of the insights we want to get a little bit more of has to do with the world's currency and fixed income markets. And here to help us is Anne Mathias, global rates and foreign currency strategist for Vanguard. And so nice to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, one of the things I was looking at was the uh, value of the euro, down 6% since it's January, end of January Uh, strength of 125. We're now 117. With today's uh, comments from the European Central Bank about uh, going ahead with their uh, less accommodative uh, posture, do you think that the dollar is going to remain strong?
2: Well, it's interesting that currencies have not been behaving the way you would often have expected them to behave. They're kind of like the the pre-teens of... uh, of the world at the moment in terms of markets. Um, You know, there's a pretty giant interest rate differential between the U.S. and Europe, um, and you would think that that would drive continued strength in the dollar. That's the sort of traditional thing that you learn in school. But you had the euro strengthening pretty strongly at the beginning part of the year, mostly on economic expectations about economic growth, this global synchronized growth in Europe. And that really started to fade. Um, And now, now the story is away from economic growth and back to interest rate differentials looking forward.
1: Yeah. So we're going to try to figure them out just as we try to figure out uh, preteen children. I do want to get your sense, though. Uh, Today, we did hear from the ECB officials saying Mm -hmm. they might talk about talking about talking about reducing uh, (laughs) their bond purchasing at their June meeting. Um, And we were talking ahead of the segment. Is this basically just giving the finger
2: to Italy? Well, um, hmm. It definitely, part of the vocal nature of the talking about the talking about, you know, coming out with it right now probably has a little bit of something to do with Italy. Especially as they've been pairing their purchases of Italian debt, right? Exactly, exactly. I think what the ECB is trying to say is, hey, you know, this is our party and you're welcome to it. But if you're going to leave, it is not going to be easy for you. They're really trying to avoid the moral hazard situation with Italy and trying to kind of show them a, a future Uh, without the ECB as a backstop. So I do think there's part of it that is around that, but we've thought for a long time that, you know, in terms of timing a fall, a more specific commentary, more specific plan in the fall of this year around around getting out of the QE or easing the QE, um, that they would have to start communicating in the summer.
1: You know, I do want to just note it, that, that, indeed, you did see Italian yields increase more than German Bund yields in response to this ECB meeting, the idea here being that as the ECB pairs its purchases, the peripheral regions, particularly Italy, which seems to be at higher risk, would suffer more as mm-hmm. a result of the pullback. So I think that's interesting,
3: Pam.
0: Well, I just want to know, is this a, ch- a situation in which the ECB is cutting off its nose despite its face? Because you can stick to rules for the sake of sticking to rules. But when you have a potential crisis, why wait for it to be a real crisis, such as Italy, which the new government has pledged to spend a lot of money to lower taxes uh, while they still have a huge government deficit? Why would the ECB do this? Sure.
2: Well, I think the reality is our economics team at Vanguard has done some work on the structure of Italian debt. And they have a very low interest rate on that debt. I mean, they've issued most of it in these super low interest rate conditions. So so really their interest cost is quite low on their existing debt. Plus the maturity is really quite long. So they would have to blow their budget deficit really up in order to create a situation where the actual interest um, payment on the debt becomes extremely punitive to them. So they're, in a weird way, they're in a good situation to have this kind of um, populist environment going on in Italy right now because the reality of it is it it's going to take a lot before it really starts to hurt.
1: You know, I'm struck by the fact that we still have more than $7 trillion of negative yielding debt out there in the world, even as the Fed uh, continues to pull back from its stimulus and the ECB talks about talking about talking about <laughs> withdrawing from its quantitative easing program. Uh, do you think that we are going to see this volume of negative yielding debt persist or do you think we're going to see it slowly whittled down as the uh, tapering goes on?
2: You know, that that is the, the need to move away from this massive bulk of negative yielding debt is something that is driving the more programmatic nature of the European Central Bank. That they they know, just like the Fed knew, that they had to get away from the zero bound. Um, you know, zero in the U.S. is like negative in Europe. Right. So. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. But um, central banks feel like they have to get away from this sort of, you know, magnet of super low rates, and, and they're going to do it every chance they can until they get to some neutral level.
1: But I'm struck by the idea of, can the European economy withstand
2: the shock of that? Well, that's a big question. Um, earlier in the year, it looked like it definitely could, you know, the economic numbers were looking good, growth was looking good. Um, we view this current situation a little bit more like a soft patch and not a complete derailment of the train. Um, but. But that's a big question, which is why I I do find it interesting that the ECB has decided to make noise right now about talking about, talking about, talking about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) the end of We have less than a minute left. I just want to get real quick. 10-year Treasury yields. Do you think that they're going lower or higher?
2: They definitely seem like they want to go lower. Um, You know, every opportunity we have, the market seems more sensitive to bad news and and a rally or lower yields. Um, and and less sensitive to uh, a a big sell-off or higher yields. Anne
1: Mathias, thank you so much for being with us. Come back, it's wonderful uh, to be here with you. Anne Mathias, global rates and foreign currency strategist for Vanguard, talking about uh, the world of interest rates, especially as the ECB talks about, talks about, talking about, possibly talking about, reducing its bond purchases. But it sounds
0: so good when they do it in German, French, and Italian. We are broadcasting live from BNY Mellon Pershing's Insight 2018 in Orlando, Florida. I'm Pim Fox along with Lisa Abramowitz. Our next guest is at the forefront of the digital revolution when it comes to the financial services industry. Ram Nagapan is the Chief Information Officer at BNY Mellon Pershing and he joins us now. Ram, thank you very much for being with us and thank you for having us here at the conference. Thank you for having me as well. One of the things I do when I come down in the morning here is I take a look at all of the different booths and all of the different presentations and in addition to the uh, hockey table and the foosball table what i've noticed is an increase in the amount of digital offerings whether it is just flat panels that are being used but more often it is about the technology that registered reps or people in the industry are being offered and i'm wondering what is the biggest issue for you right now we can go into things like software as a service and so on, but what is the biggest focus for you
3: the biggest focus is our customer wants the best experience in consuming our services so this technology, the innovation in technology and all these new tools and uh, other innovations is going to help us deliver that experiences, right? That's the key and our challenge is how do we get that best experience to you? Because we are a financial services and we are getting compared, not with our competition in financial services, but with companies like Apple, Google, Amazon and those. So you know we are all gearing about taking these technology innovations that are coming out Um, and applying it to wealth management and delivering the best experience.
1: So how much is this just making the interface nicer?
3: It's not just the interface, right? Interface is, that's a misconception. People think experience is about interface. No, and experience is about, um, for example, you know, I want to tell you, password is one of the biggest challenges that people talk. Oh my
1: God, it is so frustrating. Yeah. You've got 40 million passwords L- for every single different
3: site. Ha- look at it. I'm going to give you <laughs> a biometric face ID and finger ID, you know, fingerprint. That is an experience. It is an interface. It starts with an interface, but experience is more in-depth. It starts from experience, you know, how you interact to efficiency. You do things a lot faster than you know, just having a nice interface to end. You know, look at one-click purchase. Is that an interface or is it an experience? The ability
0: of the uh, customer to now have access to all of their information is well-known. But where that information lives, does it live in the cloud? Does it live at BNY Mellon Pershing? Where does it live and what does the cloud movement mean for your business?
3: So you are touching a very important topic about data, how you keep it and where you keep it and how secure you keep it, right? Now, cloud, it's getting more secure because people understand, you know, if you put in a cloud, somebody can come and take it, but no, it is getting secure. So I think it is all about who's the custodian that keeps the data more secure so that the privacy information doesn't get easily tampered. So if you ask me, different people keep the data, but there are regulations and other things that you need to keep data safe, that somebody else doesn't compromise it, take it and do something wrong. So data point of view, it's a very biggest challenge in this industry is to make sure that the data is secure and kept
1: intact. Data security is kind of a fuzzy concept because it's one thing for somebody to steal it with malicious purposes. It's another for somebody to use somebody's financial data to better market things to them, which could be a huge financial boon to whoever can sell such data. I'm wondering, you know, what's sort of the overall regulation on that front?
3: Well, we need to get a client consent, even to give it to someone, even for marketing. You cannot just... Give your clients data that you collect. Well, to but what else. about you know
1: overall data? Maybe not on a specific person, yeah. but sort of trends in 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 their you know financial information.
3: There's a lot of regulations around data on how you need to keep, how do you need, how you keep store it, how do you share it. All of them do exist. But as you know in the industry, there's a lot more happening around the data and the use. I don't want to name all the companies. Everybody knows that. Um, so there's a lot more you're going to we're going to see around this data. Um, See, my view as a technologist, you got to desensitize the data, meaning value of the data when somebody takes it should not be too much. What I meant is if you have a credit card, you cannot just charge. You need something else on top of a credit card that somebody doesn't misuse it. Things like that. That's where this biometrics and all other technology innovation is gonna help us change. It's a slow change, but people are getting to it. Just imagine you come in, go into a country and you stand in a turnstile and it lets you go in. See, that is a you know, biometrics, everything works in to make your experience better, a lot of technology, and you don't have to worry about keeping the password really, really <laughs> tight because they need your biometrics along with the password to let you in. Tell us about robo-advising companies like Betterment, uh,
0: Wealthfront. Uh, all of them have some form of Sigfig. That's uh, from Schwab and uh, Ameritrade. What uh, What's your view on robo-advisors yeah. and how they have progressed in the years since we've spoken to you?
3: Meaning, this is a topic that has been widely discussed, Robo, for the last two years, right? It started as if the technology is going to replace the advisor. My view is it's not going to. So the technology is going to augment or help the advisor to do a better job. Even the companies you mentioned, it started as if I'm just going to ask you 10 questions, give you a portfolio and your job is over as an advisor. No, now they are getting into hybrid models where they're going to kind of put in people at the right time to give yeah. you technology and the hybrid. So, the which digit- costs more? Which costs more? Yes. Um, so the space of robot advice is actually moving from. A technology-only solution into a hybrid or a digitally-enabled advisor-type solution. It's so
1: interesting because this is actually echoing what Bank of America's chief operations and technology officer said yesterday uh, at a conference at Bloomberg headquarters where she said, you know, that there's been a lot of fear that your job is going to get replaced by automation, but it's really used to augment sort of those human qualities that are really prized. What are those human qualities that are most important now for an advisor?
3: Ah, oh, it's understanding the relationship and the entire—not just the account or the client, hold or the account holder—but to know a lot more. Your entire life events. So it's not just to give you portfolio and make sure the return is there. So your birthday. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Should know. To you know what color you like. <laughs> yes. Yes.
3: There's a lot of things you got to know when you go through your life events. You people getting married, people having a child, people sending it to the college, retirement. You have to know the holistic. Technology will help. It's not gonna replace.
1: Thank you so much for being with us. We really love having you on. Ram Nagapin. he is Chief Information Officer at BNY Mellon Pershing. Definitely FinTech is transforming a lot of industries. Five years ago, rover advisory firms were the hot thing. Now... Everyone is a robo-advisor in the investment management space, pretty much. Simon Roy joins us now, president and chief executive officer of Gemstep, Invesco's robo-advisor. He joins us here at the BNY Mellon Insight 2018 conference in Orlando, Florida. Simon, it seems like everyone says they're using, uh, you know, whether it is streamlined data uh, aggregators or other technology to help them be a better advisor. Uh, doesn't this mean that almost everyone is sort of leaning toward robo-advisory?
4: Yeah, Lisa, I think uh, if everyone's a robo, part of the reason is we're all millennials now.
1: <laughs> all right, so uh, give us a sense. What, what is it in robo-advisory and just sort of, you know, how much competition is there in this space? and How is it defined within a world of technology?
4: The the way I look at it is, given we're all millennials, we're all becoming very adept at using technology, smartphones, and and, and other other such technology. Um, The key is, how do we make advice more accessible to the mass of Americans who don't currently have access? And so we welcome firms leaning into robo and digital advice, as we call it, uh, and we think there's a long runway for advisory firms, for banks, credit unions, insurance companies, to make it easy for clients existing and prospects to sign up for advice. And so part of what Gemstep does is make it a drop dead five, 10 minute process to go from an initial contact to a client.
1: All right. As you say this, I have to wonder how many people are open to receiving financial advice and can understand it. I I think about my nine-year-old son, who will sometimes say to me, Mom, I was listening to you on radio. Why can't you just speak English? You know, because it's it's hard to understand if you're not deeply in the world.
4: Absolutely. So, at at the end of the day, individuals invest to achieve their goals. Secure retirement, kids, you know, your nine-year-old son... (laughs) going to college, you save for, it, for, for a goal, but, but, but you have to start, maybe we need to talk offline, but you should start <laughs> saving now if you haven't.
1: Uh, because My it's, stomach just got a little queasy, go on. No, but, but,
4: but the, the key is, at the end of the day, we are looking to help clients meet their financial and ultimately life goals. And so in simple terms, we provide technology to banks, credit unions, and other financial institutions to help their clients identify the goals that are important to them, your kids' college, and go through a simple questionnaire asking about how old is your son, uh, when would you expect them to go to college, uh, how much do you have saved to date? Sorry about that one. (laughs) Um, and And then what you can do in working with this firm to have a better chance of actually reaching that goal. And in simple terms, that is what Digital or, or, like we, as we like to say, bionic advice is about. How do we help individual? How do we help our clients help their investors meet their financial goals?
0: Now, I just want to see if this is accurate. That, Gemstep, you don't automate the portfolio management. I mean, that's a, a, a distinction, right? And because when you think of robo advisor, you think, okay, you plug in a bunch of information and it gives you this model portfolio and then it just sort of adjusts, but. The idea is, I think with Gemstep, you tell us, is that if you want to be, if you're an, a registered rep, if you're managing money or at a bank or a pension, whatever it is, and you want to be an active investor, a passive investor, you want ETFs, you want mutual funds, you can do all of that using the Gemstep uh, platform. So the Gemstep
4: platform is an open investment platform, meaning we don't prescribe to our client firms what their strategy should be we help them bring their value proposition to the fore for their clients so plain speak if they want to have an all etf set of portfolios we can support that if they want to have mutual funds or individual securities we can support that as well and so we we provide them with the choice to bring their value proposition to bear the investment side is only one piece of the value proposition right yeah the other side is I have a question, how do I raise my hand? How do I get help? And so our belief is that full full robo maybe serves a small portion of the market. At the end of the day, this is personal finance. You want to be able to reach out and get advice. And so the second part of the value proposition is often what form of access do I have and level of access do I have to an individual advisor or a call center or someone in the branch so that if I have questions, I know there's someone to talk to, and I may not need it all the time, but when I do raise my hand, I want to know there's someone there. And so, whether it's an open platform for investments and supporting that bionic advice, yeah, we you know we provide that as a service.
1: You know, we do, we have less than a minute left, but I'm yep. wondering: do you think that more people are financially literate today than they used to be?
0: I
4: I think there's been an education process of a, uh, you know, over the last two decades that have made them a little, bit more, a little bit more educated when it comes to certain aspects of investment. But I really think that literacy is going to be increasing over the next 10, 20 years as this digital technology makes advice and planning goals more accessible to individuals. And I think what, what, what we'll see is by using services such as Gemstep and being able to see the impact of saving more, they'll learn what it means to actually
0: you know achieve their goals on the financial side so i am I'm, I'm optimistic it'll increase and he's also going to make us all younger because we're all millennials thank you very much <laughs> simon roy is the president and the chief executive of invesco's Gemstep. step We are broadcasting from BNY Mellon's Insight 2018 in Orlando, Florida. And one of the topics today is the European Central Bank, the chief economist, signaling that the bank's first formal round of talks on when to stop buying bonds is imminent here to tell us more about this and what it means for your investments is marvin Lowe, managing director senior global markets strategist for bny mellon marvin a pleasure to have you with us and thank you for being with us here at this conference uh, so what do you make of these comments from the european central bank
5: you know i guess um everyone certainly uh, is worried about it because it, it does um represent a, a turning point to one of the Largest amounts of liquidity that has been put into the financial systems in, in the history of the world, but ultimately, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's you know they they need to make some announcement by September. Um, data has been okay, you know, firming from kind of where we were last year. But I guess just the fact that it's stark and in front of us now, people are, are somewhat concerned about it.
1: You know, one thing that I'm struck with is investor positioning right now because you do have a generally hawkish tone coming out of the central banks. Uh, and people had been flooding into short-term debt, which ostensibly would suffer if rates uh, rose substantially on the short end. I was noticing a couple of really big flows out of short-term exchange-traded funds. Uh, there was about a billion dollars pulled from uh, an share short-term high yield bond ETF in the past week, and there was another billion dollars overnight from Shai, the one to three year treasury ETF run by BlackRock. Does this mean anything to you?
5: You know, uh, certainly the expectations around, and and a lot lot of that is, um, you know, a Fed story, if you will. But expectations around the Fed with regard to how aggressive they could get or couldn't get has waxed and waned recently, Um, you know, particularly around uh, some of the geopolitical aspects that push yields uh, lower, if you will. But, you know, the data uh, that has come out recently, you know, affirms that the Fed's on the right path in terms of, you know, talking about another two, and I guess the market is gravitating whether or not there's a three, for 2018. Marvin,
0: uh, if the European Central Bank, just to go back there for a second, does curtail their purchases, where, like, I think that what they do, about 2.9 trillion, something like that, dollars yeah, worth, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard okay, to get uh, yeah. one's mind around right, that. Kind number. right. Um, don't you think that's going to tank European stocks?
5: Well, you know, I mean, it's a known known. Um, you know, the, the world has. You know, certainly been prepared. Yeah, but wait, wait,
0: wait. We knew that. For example, we knew that with the U.S. Federal Reserve, and then you had that nice, huge sell-off in U.S. stocks on the twenty-sixth
5: of January. I mean, it was like a cliff. I think that. I think that just at you know, looking at volatility, kind of in this world where liquidity has played as big of a role, you know, certainly um, is going to create those drifts and we've got market structure which is very unique from what it was before the crisis and you know um, nobody really knows what all of these etfs what all of this um, uh, algorithmic trading is ultimately going to do once the central banks are out of there but while we had the downdraft valuations ultimately did come back and you know asset values are starting to settle around um differentials that make a bit more sense you know we talk about italy and kind of the blowout in italy but should italy trade as tight to Bunds? Probably not. You know, Germany and and Italy are very, very different uh, economies, and they should um, have that differential within those numbers.
1: Well, and then talking about differentials, let's talk about the differential between U.S. and German yields, right? Because that's also blown out. And should that be as wide as it is?
5: Um, No. I don't think so. I think I think that there's going to be a convergence around this, particularly as we uh, get more into this ECB discussion, where you know they will stop buying bonds at the end of this year. Um, Draghi's term ends late in 2019, so we'll see if he takes the route that Yellen did in terms of you know getting a little bit more to the middle rather than being as as dovish as he has been during his entire uh, tenure. But um, you know, they are slowly going down that path the way the Fed slowly went down that path.
1: So you think that the gap in the yields are going to shrink because German boon yields are going to rise faster even than U.S. yields going forward?
5: And, and, and some of that's a reversal from what we saw this year. Just the U.S. yields have gapped out so much more. And we um, can conceivably have a conversation about when the Fed uh, might be forced to, Pull back a little bit from its more aggressive stance that's that's out there. You know, I, I I find it difficult to see them doing another seven or eight rate hikes during the cycle. To be honest with you,
0: any thoughts on trade wars and what increases in tariffs would do to all of the projections for corporate earnings?
5: You know, uh, most most certainly it's going to be a um, pick and choose kind of environment in terms of which companies are are better. Off uh, than not, you know. I, I don't. I can't offer a whole lot of insight into, um, you know, the more other than the more obvious types of industries that that are that are hurt. You know, auto auto manufacturers, etc. Um, the fact that we really have had a lot of rhetoric, but not uh, a lot of action, I think, is is a, a constructive view that the market is ultimately taking. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens.
0: Okay, but. Um just taking a look at what has already happened if you look at stocks in europe stocks in asia they're flat or down for the year and it's not as if you made a lot of money in the s p 500 this year either you're up maybe three three and a quarter percent yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean that's not a ringing endorsement
5: uh, you know what? Um, I mean, there, there's certainly some there's certainly some negatives to it, uh, no doubt. Um, U.S. stocks themselves are not screaming by 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 any uh, means. You know, they're holding their own, which, kind of, given where valuations have been, is is pretty good given all of the tailwinds. I mean, there's there's volatility that's been created by certainly the geopolitical aspects that are going on in the world, and there are and there's volatility based on the fact that the central banks are um, you know starting to move towards a more neutral position. Um, Yes. At some point this year, we'll probably be talking about uh, shrinking balance sheets across the G4, which will be the first time in, you know, it's since certainly all of us have been coming to uh, Insight.
1: So, uh, what's the one question that everyone asks you, all your clients and, and traders?
5: You know, I think, um, I think there are still, and, and you kind of see it whenever we get um, a little bit of a calm in the world, and it's not as if there's not headlines today, but you see yields gapping out. And I think that there is concern about a 4%. Um, Uh, 4% 10-year, you know, do do some of those prognoses, hold any weight. Uh, I'm in the camp that we might have seen the highs of the year or, you know, close to the highs of the year, if you will. Um, I think things get a little bit more murky and cloudier later in the year, particularly if we start talking about an ECB that's pulling things back. Um, so, you know, everyone is is looking at yields, which is great for a fixed income guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Marvin Lowe, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, Marvin Lowe is Managing Director and Senior Global Market Strategist for VNY Mellon, joining us here at Insight 2018 in Orlando, Florida. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg P&L Podcast.
0: You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer.